Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the latest edition of your Royal Blue Podcast. Today we'll be reflecting on Everton's 3-2 win over Wolves at the weekend, the end of the European transfer window, and some pretty positive signs from Marco Silva's team overall. I'm your host, Sam Carroll, and today I'm joined by Chris Beasley, Dave Prentice, and our Everton reporter, Adam Jones, who was at the game at the weekend. So Adam, we'll, we'll start with you. Another win uh, at home. Six on the trot now, is it? Yeah, six wins. Do you think Everton were... Well, value for money for the win? Uh, in the end, just about, yeah. I think it, it's so different to, you know, what we were treated to, in, you know, especially in the first couple of games of the season. <laughs> what are you doing? I'm kind of looking at you through the, through the <laughs> headphones. I'm just not going to make eye contact. It's like you. you're trying to put me off. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so different than what we were seeing in the first two games of the season. You know, in those first games of the season, we were seeing Everton struggle to create chances. When they were creating chances, they were struggling to put them in the back of the net. Uh, it was so, so different uh, against Wolves. Silva switched it up. Uh, he put faith in the front four that started against Lincoln, which I think was absolutely the right call. And it proved to be like that front four looks so much more fluid. Uh, they look so much more comfortable in playing together, you know, switching in between positions. Um, I think we saw that for all four goals, really. Uh, all four, all three goals. Wishful thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, but at the other hand, like, at the back, it, every time Wolves went forward, they were causing havoc, yeah. especially in the first half down the flanks. I think Coleman and Dean really, really struggled in a defensive sense. I think Dean, like for that first goal, not quite sure what he was trying to do to stop Adama Traore, to be honest. He just didn't, didn't see, do anything, did he? Yeah, he just, <laughs> just stood, there, stood there and let him run past him. And then obviously Coleman misjudged the flight of the ball. And then there's there's 1-1 one, 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 one at the time. Uh, for the second goal, Dean gets the run. Gets the run on him by uh, Jimenez, and that that was two two. So, you know, there's there's still some concern and signs there for Marco Silva, but all in all, I think he'll be you know, fairly pleased with the performances I put in. Do you think that's what it is, Dave? I think Adam wrote it in his analysis after the game. Everton striking a balance now. You know, it's all well and good scoring the goals down one end, but you know we made it a lot harder than it should have been. Really, at the yeah, weekend, I think it was almost like a, f- a flip side to what we saw in the first couple of games, wasn't it? Where you know defensively we were very, very sound, yeah, and yet struggled to create. Whereas it was the complete opposite at the weekend. Thoroughly enjoyed the game, and um, I think selecting that front four did make such a difference. Gilfie Sigurdsson looked a better player from the word go. Because it's almost like he had, you know, sort of more options. People were more fluid, you know, sort of moving better around him. Absolutely glorious cross uh, for the for the Awobi goal, topped only by Lucas Dean's cross for the winning <laughs> goal. What a cross that was! Absolutely sensational. But you know, defensively, he was he was a bit all over the place to be honest. And it was uh, it's trying to get the balance absolutely right. I mean, Keane. And, and Mina looked decent together. It was the fullbacks that struggled a little bit. But let's give Wolves some credit. They're a good side. Yeah. Uh, you know, so they cause a lot of teams problems. They gave United all the problems they could handle, you know, so not that long ago. 
Um, so, yeah, you've got to bear that in mind as well. I just sort of hoped that they would flag a little bit in the last quarter, given the exertions on Thursday night against Torino. And I wouldn't say they flagged, you know, so I'd like to give the credit to Everton for showing character. And again, that was something that, you know, so the manager talked about afterwards. There were a couple of occasions last season where we conceded goals and just fell flat. It didn't actually recover, didn't show character. That was quite the opposite this time. They dug in and, and they came again and, and scored goals. So it's a big win, you know. So it's a team that we need to try and reel in, you know, one of our top six rivals, if you like. And it got a very, very important victory against them. So yeah, just build on that. You know, it's great to go into international break with such a good win, you know, so under your belts, briefly in fifth, you know, so obviously slipped down a little bit after the Arsenal Spurs results, but in a decent position now with again, a couple of decent fixtures coming up as well after the international break. So build on it, just try and get the balance absolutely right. As Marco pointed out after the game, is from Watford and Wolves at home last season, we got one point. This season, we've got six points. Is it just kind of, and as Dave kind of alluded to there, is it just kind of winning these battles and, and totting up the points and, and seeing where it now leaves us? Yeah, it's important, like um, Dave mentioned, that you know the teams who, who be around you, I mean, you'd like to um, think that they could um, leave Watford in the, in the wake, but ultimately um, it is going to be a team around their part of the table, the the, the upper mid-table pushing for those European places. And <clears throat> like you said, last season, just one point from those two fixtures. And even that was with a, a last gasp goal, wasn't it, against um, Watford? Um, so um, <clears throat> that was when we looked at this start of the season for Everton. There was a lot of positive fixtures, a lot of seemingly winnable fixtures, but um, I don't think any of them were fixtures that Everton had won last season. So that points to how disappointing it was at times Yeah, L- last year, but these fixtures were seen, seen as winnable. So yeah, it's one thing going at the start of the season when those fixtures come out saying, oh yeah, we win that, win that, whatever, but going out and, and winning them, yeah, and, and, and that's uh, that's what they've done then, gone into that international break. And I think it is important when you haven't got a game for a couple of weeks to to, to, to have that feel-good factor going away. And um, fortunately, yeah, they, they were able to... to keep battling back and get that win. The, the flip side to that, of course, though, is uh, you look at the fixtures that we won last season. It's all very well saying, yeah, we're, we're five points up on last season already. Last season, we beat Arsenal, Chelsea, Man yeah. United, at Goodison. You know, yeah. we, we've got to replicate those results. Mm. Yeah. But what's like really giving me heart now is that Goodison is such a fortress now. You're beginning to feel like any team going there is going to you know, struggle and it's not entirely down to the siren because, you know, so mm-hmm. after you know, the siren and the initial 15 or 20 minutes, the atmosphere dipped a little bit, you know, sort of at the weekend. Uh, so it, it's, it's just becoming a place where Everton feel strong and feel resolute. So, yeah, I'm, I'm quite looking forward. The next big one now, I don't want to dismiss Sheffield United, but City at the end of the month, you know, that, on Saturday night, that's going to be some atmosphere at that one. But I mean, you mentioned like Chelsea, Arsenal, Man United, with the way they've started the season. True. You know, if that, if that yeah. kind of form continues, then... You know, you'd be back in Everton to be favourites in those kind yeah, of matches. I'm make, yeah, I'm making the mistake of thinking of the, the reputation of the clubs yeah. rather than the actual form at the moment. Yeah, because all three look gettable at the moment. Yeah. So. But even assuming as well that we took no points from those games, which I'm almost 100% certain we won't, you still look at the amount of silly points we dropped last season, those two games, Newcastle away, Fulham away. Huddersfield you know, at Goodison. Huddersfield yeah. at Goodison. There's a lot of scope for, for improvement, isn't there? Well, I think the, the Fulham away one is almost replicated by that Aston, Aston Villa, Villa one yeah, yeah. already this season. And, you know, you're hoping that that's just, you know, early season jitters. You know, we didn't have Keane and Iwobi starting. We didn't have Delph. You know, he was so good at the weekend. We didn't have him starting either. So you're just hoping it's those kind of early season jitters that you can just get that out of your system. And hopefully, I think it was more disappointing towards the end of last season that we were playing so well at home, but we were dropping careless points, you know, 
uh, at Fulham. Uh, the one at Newcastle was really, really disappointing. So you, you gotta, you've got to hope by the towards the end of this season we won't be we won't be doing that again. And fingers crossed, like even after this international break, once all these new signings have had a bit more time to gel together, yeah, uh, we'll we'll look even more solid. Dave, I know you were. Uh... Aston Villa and I'm sure you tuned in for the for the Lincoln game and, and you were there at the weekend as well when the transfer window closed we were all very excited by a lot of Everton's by all of Everton's incoming transfers and, and Moise Keane was probably the standout one out of them but you know when Alex Awobi was confirmed it was it was a little bit of a surprise but he stood out hasn't he? Yeah of all the signings he's the one that's you know hit the ground running the quickest and I only say that because Fabian Delph uh, has been injured and we've only seen him briefly because he's been monumental in the two games we've seen monumental. him so far. <laughs> but, you know, Alex Iwerby has hit the ground. Funny enough, you know, yeah, name drop time now. Uh, talking to the Everton show, him at the weekend, and uh, he asked about, he likes to throw in mad quiz questions. Son, <laughs> son, what's the best bit of transfer business this summer? <laughs> And That's not really a quiz question, and, is and it? Goes, and he goes, it's a double-edged sword. No, no, it means like every football club in the Premier League. And right. There's so many you could look at. But they're so excited about the money that was, you know, garnered for Garner Gay. Yeah. No pun intended. And, uh, you know, to spend a fraction of that on Fabian Delph, who is younger than Garner Gay. I think not much in it, I know. But, you know, he's younger. Um, to me, he looks like a slightly classier operator. And like everything he did, you know, sort of the weekend was so, so good. Yeah. Um, you know, nicking the ball when it mattered. Um, even like the, the tactical foul, which Manchester City specialise in, he seems to have brought with him. Uh, he knitted the play together so well. A little bit overambitious on one or two occasions, that was all. But no, it was a great performance and um, really, really impressed with him. But yeah, of the three signings, Alex Iwobi is the one that has, you know, hit the ground running the fastest. He just adds a little bit of presence, uh, a little bit of physicality, as well as the ability he's got. Yeah. And I feel, really feel for Bernard because he started the season well. And, you know, so I like him a lot. He's got great talent and he made a difference when he came on as well. But Iwobi just has that little bit extra presence and a goal threat you know he's not renowned for his goals with his head but that's two now in two games yeah. and so if he's going to do that every week Bernard's going to find it either harder to get back in or may have to try and think about you know so getting in somewhere else in the team because um, he's hit the ground running and uh, yeah he's fully deserving of his place at the moment Do you, do you think then B is the, the front four that started at the weekend of, of Keane Wobie, Sigurdsson and Richarlison is that now Everton's strongest? It's the strongest Right now, but I think over the course of a, of a Premier League season, there's a, I think the good thing is, is that there are, not, there are not options, and you can you can mix it, it up a bit. Whether it's even Richarlison going down the middle at times, I mean, it's like we've talked about. It's a very fluid um, quartet there. Um, if we're including Sigurdsson in there, and and it, the players can sw- switch wings and operate in different um, positions, even within the same. Game so yeah it does it is a different sort of proposition with a Wobi in the side. It's actually I've been speaking to one of our colleagues at Football London today, preparing a piece for later this week, and we're talking about um, a Wobi. He was always very popular um, within um, Arsenal with the, the, the managers he played under. Whether that was obviously most of the time under Wenger and then Emery last season, who he was a regular with. Um, it, it was just almost underappreciated a bit by some of the supporters, and um, he just didn't have that. Um, that um, f- final um, ball in really having scoring as many goals as, as he could have done. I mean, 
he scored that amazing one in the Europa League final, almost like a, a parting shot. So to see him start at Everton and get a couple in a week, I mean, it, it's very promising. And what it does do, it keeps the other players on their toes. Like yeah. I said, there's nobody guaranteed a shirt now and there's a lot of competition for places there. Adam, surely then, no coincidence though, that when Moise Keane and, and Alex Awobi are added into the starting lineup that we see... Gilfie Sigurdsson and Richarlison, not just their best performances this season, but certainly for Richarlison, potentially their best performance in an Everton shirt. It's interesting really, isn't it? Like we, I think we're seeing the start of a really good relationship between the likes of Iwobi, Keane and Richarlison. You know, they're all fairly similar ages and, you know, these just seem to have linked together so well already. I think what's interesting with Sigurdsson is that whenever Calvert-Lewin tends to play, like we've spoke about it before on this podcast, Calvert-Lewin tends to run the channels a lot and, you know, he's full of energy up front and that's that's great and everything, don't get me wrong, but it means that he's not centrally as much as he really should be and Keane was dropping back at times and trying to pick up the ball, but a lot of the time he was central, he was looking for that six-yard box and I feel like that maybe gave Sigurdsson a bit more freedom to roam about a little bit. He wasn't thinking, oh, I need to be the man in the middle here because Calvert-Lewin's gone off over to that wing. Instead, it gave Sigurdsson the, um, like, the space and ability to be able to drop back, drop into the spaces in between the lines, between the Wolves' defence and midfield. And that's where he's... We all, we've always known that's where he hurts teams the most. And I think it's no surprise to me that that was his best performance that we've seen from him in a, a good long while. I wouldn't even say this season. I'd say a, a really long while because he was picking up the ball in those dangerous areas right outside the box, exactly where we want him to pick, him up, pick them up. We saw for his cross, for the Wobie's goal, that kind of quality that he's got when he gets into that area, even like playing little intricate passes in, in mm. on the edge of that box, inside the box, into, uh, into the likes of Keane. He just looks so dangerous every time he picked up the ball. And I think that's no surprise. You know, we have seen Iwobi and Keane come in and, you know, the two physical presences as well as being, you know, full of energy, full of... I don't think Moise Keane stopped sprinting all all the time that he was yeah. on the pitch, which was really impressive. He even got his boot took off him at one point. He did, yeah. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it, it, it was just really, really refreshing to see, I'd say. It's, it's funny you say that about Richarlison, you know, one of the best performances in a show. I thought he was... Poor at the weekend. Really? Yes. I think I genuinely, yeah. I said in my Scored analysis, I think that's his best game that he's yeah, ever had for Poor on, on the ball. In terms it, 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 of- yeah, he gave the ball away too many times. He was over ambitious on occasions. For me, it underlines what a, what a potential he has, what quality he has, that he can be a match winner and score two great goals. I yeah. mean, that first one was so much more difficult than it looked. And uh, the, the winning goal was just a classic centre-forward's head. I absolutely loved him. But I thought in between times, you know, he, stuff he was trying wasn't coming off and I just thought for him to you know be a match winner and have that kind of impact on a game where he's not at his best yeah. underlines what he is but yeah you know so I saw the marks afterwards and you know, I raised an eyebrow so I didn't think he was that good <laughs> but you know we see we see games differently uh, you know so he, he was a match winner despite for me not being at his best wow. is it not just a sign of a young player he's gonna kind of take on too much sometimes isn't he and oh, he always does and we've, we've said before in here he takes too much responsibility on his shoulders you know he tries you know, to be the match winner every week and it hurts him personally when he isn't, you know, when he gets dragged off, you know, yeah. so when he isn't performing, you know, so it really gets to him and uh, he, he festers, doesn't he, you know, so yeah. he broods, you know, so for a week and so that'll be a big weight off his shoulders, you know, so having such a huge impact, you know, so in a game like that and hopefully after 
Brazil aren't playing this international break, are they? Hopefully you'll have like a uh, reasonable you know, sort sure. of break. And, yeah. uh, you know, so you'll come back absolutely fresh and flying. But no, I'm not trying to, you know, sort of be critical of him here. I just, you know, because I think he's a great player. You've probably ruined but, this poor lad today, Pernod. No, I just, I just think, you know, he's played a lot better. Yes, he was a match winner for yeah. us. He's so. understanding a lot more English now, isn't he? Oh, he's yeah. doing, yeah. yeah. doing those lessons now. Yeah. <laughs> and just to, to stick with you for, for a moment then, Preno, uh, you wrote a, a very good piece on it yesterday, but... Some bizarre comments from from Graham Souness on on Richarlison's oh, strike partner Moise Keane, and he's he's came in for some for some criticism from a large support of of Everton fans. Completely understandable as well. It was just such a strange thought process. This is before the game. I mean, I didn't actually hear it. Uh, somebody sent it to me on a, a direct message with the actual video of it, and I'm listening to this at half time. I'm thinking the lad hasn't even kicked a ball yet, and yeah. you know what did he say? Alarm bells are ringing about him because Juventus have let him go. Well, Juventus didn't want to let him go. He had one year left on his contract. They thought, well, 28 million quid now rather than let him go for nothing. His agent is the same agent that allowed Paul Pogba's contract to run down at Manchester United. And yeah. so they knew the writing was on the wall here. He's not going to get a first team place regularly at Juventus because of the quality they have. You know, they've got Ronaldo, Manzukic, what have you, you know, sort of in the forward line there. And he wants to play. So I think it suited all parties for him to move on. So it's just infer, and I, the inference for me was that there are issues, what was the phrase? Was there are issues seems to suggest that there were problems with his character, that, you know, so there was a problem there, which is why Juventus let him go. And I just found that absolutely baffling to suggest that so soon. I mean, looking back at Graham Souness's record, he had exactly the same experience himself. Now, he was a, a world-class footballer, Souness. I know Gavin in here has said that, you know, he was uh, the best footballer he's ever seen play. And, you know, so, and Gavin, you know, sort of seen some great footballers play. And, you know, so obviously given his royal blue leanings, you know, so it doesn't dispense praise like that, you know, so easily. But Souness went to Tottenham Hotspur as a 19-year-old, and I think in his autobiography he said he got homesick, couldn't settle, didn't enjoy the experience, and went back to Middlesbrough. He then flourished, became a world-class player. So, you know, would it be right to suggest that issues with, you know, so Graham Sooner, should alarm bells have been ringing in our head back then? Of course not. I just think it was so premature, it was so unnecessary, and it totally fed, you know, so this feeling that Evertonians have, that there's some kind of, you know, sort of pro-Liverpool bias amongst a lot of the uh, the televised media. I mean, there's so many of their former players on television all the time. And it's very easy to think there's a bit of bias at work here rather than cold, logical, clear thinking. Because there's nothing cold and logical about suggesting that Moyes Keane has got problems at Juventus and they were happy to let him go. So that's why I wrote the piece that I did. I, I, was, I thought it was unfair, grossly unfair. Well said, very well said. Moving on from the players on the pitch... Beers, two men who, who didn't quite make the, the cut mm. at the weekend, Tom Davies and quite surprisingly Theo Walcott as well. Where, where do you think their Everton careers currently, currently lie? Uh, I see them both as, um, as, as squad players, but neither of them in the first 11 when everyone's fit. That doesn't mean, like I said, over again, over the course of a Premier League season, there won't be plenty of opportunities for both. Um, I think whereas Davies is a coming force for the future and one who, who can build on it. He's very um, well rated by the manager who obviously gave him the captain's armband on a number of occasions last season. A bit strange with Walcott though because when he came from Arsenal, came up to Everton, he'd expect to be one of the big players at Everton. Started very brightly um, those those early games. Was it um, Leicester City, was yeah. it? Um, and he scored there. And um, looked very promising those first few weeks. Thought, oh, well, there's still a bit more in the tank there after his long stint at Arsenal, but it's quickly gone downhill for him um, now in respect that um, he's not one of the first 11 now. There seem to be more dependable, more consistent wide players in there. And I think 
it's strange in that I'm not sh- too sure how happy I'd be if I, if I was in, yeah, in yeah. his shoes after the you know the stellar career he's had. He's been a big star since he was a very a very young age, obviously a, a teenage sensation back in the noughties. But um, you'd think it's not like he's coming to like the real autumn end of his career. He's only just into his thirties now, so I'm not too sure. What he does it is he is he happy playing that bit part role because I, I don't see him, him getting particularly many more opportunities than he's getting at the moment. I don't know if wages are an issue. He's, he's obviously on decent wages there, getting getting him off the book, so it's just not an option. But it just seems strange, really, that I think he does at this moment in time. We spoke about all those options in the wide areas, destined to play a bit part role. And and he, personally, if I was him, I'd, I'd, I think that's coming a little too too soon for him. So I'm, I'm not too sure where that one goes, to be honest. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Bees makes an interesting point, really, Adam. I think it's kind of well known that Theo Walcott is one of the the highest earners at Everton. But you know, how happy can you be? You know, he, he was pictured arriving at Goodison at the weekend. He was obviously the, the the man left left out of the squad. Do you think it kind of poses an an interesting question about where this future could lie? Uh, I think it like. In terms of this weekend, it will have been a late decision. I think Marco Silva always takes 20 players, I think it is, uh, to each match. And then uh, he makes a late decision on who's going to make the bench and who's not. And it'll be a similar situation as to when how Tom Davis was left out uh, in midweek in that game against Lincoln. You know, he didn't want to put as many midfielders on the bench uh, in that match as he could. So he only used Andre Gomez. I think this time around he wanted to maybe... Use a couple couple of midfielders on the bench, but instead, he didn't want to have so many forwards. Did he have Tosin and Calvert Lewin on the bench uh, and Bernard as well? Yeah, Bainsey was missing as well, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah. He, but he was at the stadium along with yeah. along with Tom Davis. So yeah, it is it is interesting, and I think in terms of in terms of Walcott in particular, you know, he was one of Silver's you know main men when yeah, and he missed one Premier League game last season. And yeah, he was on the bench for that one. Yeah, he first first came. When Silver first came to the club, you know, I, I remember thinking towards the start of last season, you know, he bagged that goal against South Southampton, scored a really good goal away to mm-hmm. Bournemouth, really good finish. And I remember thinking, I remember being sat in the stand in Bournemouth thinking to myself, right, are we now going to see? This could be a is, there, is this now yeah, going to be like yeah. a Walcott? It's on the verge of an England recall, according yeah, to where, some. Where he's a bit consistent, maybe bags us 10, mm. 15 goals, you know, from the wing. But again, like the, the same thing, you know, we've seen it. So many times at Arsenal over the years, the same thing struck him. It was just that inconsistency, that not being able to produce that quality in the final third that we need. And ultimately now Everton have got players who are just better at doing that on a consistent basis. I'd say Bernard's better at it, Richarlison's better, Iwobi's better. You know, We've got some really exciting players in that position now. And you know, by all accounts, from whenever we talk to Silva, he says that Theo Walcott's one of the hardest workers in training, and I don't doubt that at all. You know, as B said, he's been a really he's been a big player since he was about the age of sixteen. I think he went to yeah. an England tournament at the age of sixteen, didn't he? Yeah. So you know, he's he's had this work ethic in him from a young age. So I don't doubt that he's absolutely a hard worker, but he needs to start like showing that on the pitch again. You know, whenever he's making these sub- sort of substitute appearances, yeah. he needs to start making an impact in those appearances. You know start beating a few players, start scoring a few goals, start setting up a few goals. Because at the minute, he's coming on for like the last 10, 15 minutes and he's just running about and really not impacting the game 
at all. And, you know, he's only going to drop further and further down the pecking order if that's the case. Is that the major worry then, Prano, that, you know, you're looking at what we've discussed there about who Everton's kind of best front four is at the moment. Is Walcott even coming into that equation? When is his next opportunity well, to might, force his way back? It, it might be a worry for Theo Walcott, but it shouldn't be a worry for Everton Football Club because it yeah. just underlines, you know, sort of the strength and depth that the club now has. That, you know, a player who was, like you say, a first-team regular only like 12 months ago, is suddenly surplus to requirements. And that's because, you know, other players are performing better than him. Um, the other two players that we mentioned, Tom Davis and Leighton Baines, who were not, you know, even on the bench at the weekend, again, underlines that there's decent strength in depth, you know, so which is good. Walcott's a tricky one because I always, you always have this, like, you know, slight concern about footballers that have started their careers so young, you know, 16 years old, yeah. playing first team football. And, and burnout's a bit of a, you know, a, a flippant phrase to use, but, you know, there's so many miles under the clock. Is it, yeah, exactly. Is it more difficult? I mean, I think we saw it happen you know, with, with Wayne Rooney. I can't think of many 16-year-olds that are still going strong in the future. James Milner's probably the one that, you know, breaks the trend, mm. but I can't think of too many. Uh, Trevor Francis may be going back a long time now. Uh, but it is, it's something that, you know, it's very, very difficult to maintain those levels over a long period. Um, so, yeah, whilst Theo has got every right to, you know, be a little bit concerned about what the future may hold, it shouldn't concern Everton because, you know, it just underlines again how you know, strong the squad is. And in terms of Tom Davis, Adam, I think we've we've spoken a lot about Tom on this podcast and, you know, he has been a, a, a kind of talking point between Evertonians now for, for probably the best part of 18 months, two years. But but last season, to go from being given the captain's armband and, and kind of featuring, you know, at least semi regularly to not making the cut in a Carabao Cup game for tactical reasons for not making the cut in a Premier League game a few days later is it also is it almost becoming a a bit of a conundrum for for what next for both him and Everton because he is only young is is he still at that age where you know might the club have to consider a a loan move or is it is it just about biding your time with Tom and and building his confidence back up I I think it a lot of it will be down to confidence. I think it was a bit of a shame, you know, when we got to a certain stage last season, it was just before we had that big, long break and then we came back in really good form. But before that, I thought Tom Davis was playing quite well. He played well against Huddersfield. Yeah. Thought he was one of our better players when in that home defeat to Man City as well, just before that little break. And I thought, okay, this is, mm. this is the start of a Tom Davis trying to stake his claim for this midfield. And then... Suddenly after that break, it was Morgan Schneiderlin who was given given the nod by Silver. And then, you know, obviously Schneiderlin took took that position for his own for the rest of that season. So since then, Tom Davis hasn't really had a look in. I think maybe he was maybe he was affected a little bit badly by in preseason, he was used as an attacking midfielder. Yeah. Essentially, he was used as Sigurdsson's backup, where you know, like at one stage, I did think to myself, oh, maybe he will be Sigurdsson's backup, maybe he will be challenging Sigurdsson for this season. But now that we've brought in Alex Awobi, you know, obviously Bernard can play in that position now as well. It's It seems to be a bit, well, it, it, it doesn't look like he's going to get into that position. So then you look a bit further back into the midfield and you've got, at, at the minute, you've got Gabamon who's injured, but you've got Schneiderlin, Gomez and Delph, who are all, you know, really, really good footballers but if you're Tom Davis you've got to look at that and think to yourself well I offer I offer something different than all those players so it's all about just showing the manager what he can do in training making sure he's back on that bench again and then 
you know, it, in in a similar vein to what I was saying to Walcott, when he does get those opportunities on off the bench, he needs to start impacting games and really showing what he can do because ultimately that's the only way he's going to get get himself in favour again. He's got to be showing that on on the pitch in Premier League football matches now. He might he might get the chance to show that against Sheffield Wednesday in a couple of weeks. You know, Silver might want to switch up his options on the bench or, or in the first team or whatever. We don't know the situation, but I do hope he gets chances from uh, now until the end of the season because you know he's shown when he first broke through into the team he is such an exciting footballer when he's mm. got that confidence behind him and when he's got that support behind him. So I, I do really hope he can rediscover that because. I feel like he's been a bit of a bit of a victim of circumstance over the last couple of years. You know, when he he broke through, and then obviously Cumin had his troubles and went, and Allardyce came in, and you know it wasn't Tom's fault that he was used in a defensive midfield role. Uh, but that's that's the way that's the way it all fell. And you know, I feel like last season, you know, the way he got dropped from the team, it wasn't necessarily his fault that he got dropped either. So. Yeah. I, I I still have a lot of faith in Tom Davis that he can be a really really good footballer for Everton, and I do hope he can just realise that confidence again, like in the next few months. Well, last night the moving on a little bit, the, the transfer window now, the European transfer window has, has now closed, and and Everton managed to secure a season long loan deal for Yannick Bellassi at Sport in Lisbon. If we take a little look back, you know Alex Awobi, Moise Keane, Andre Gomez, Jean Philippe Gabamon, Fabian Delph, Gibral Sidibe. Jonas Lossell were all signed. Everett managed to get Keaton Dahl, Mohamed Besic, Matthew Pennington and Luke Garbett loans. Shani Tadajai went out as well. Another loan for Sandro Ramirez, Henry Onyakuru and Nikola Vlasic both left on permanent deals. Bees, Kuko Martina and Umanias managed to survive huh. another summer. Is that what we call it? <laughs> how, do you, how disappointed do you think Marcel and, and Marco will be then? It's another two yeah. players left on, on the wage budget. And do you think it's been a successful summer transfer window overall? Um, successful transfer window, yes, apart from the rather glaring caveat, and I hope it's not similar to the absence of getting a striker in 2017 of yeah. the centre-back, not getting a centre-back. That is the glaring omission if we look at the the overall business. Um Hopefully, I mean, it all depends on on injuries, doesn't it? In the in the in the months ahead, if they're fortunate, they might just manage to get away with that to January. But it's concerning. So overall, yeah. But um, just have to wait and see on that centre back issue. It is concerning. Um, in regards to those two players who who are still there, I mean, I think this is the problem with all of those kind of um, players. In that I'm sure that there were lots of teams who would like to take them on, but the wages is the big issue because in the first place. They're probably on such big wages for the kind of teams who would take them on. Maybe that that step below Everton, really, whether they're playing in one of Europe's um, lesser leagues, and they just can't afford those Premier League wages. So it's it's not like they've become pariahs overnight, and nobody wants to touch Yannick Balassi with a barge pole. It's the fact that they just can't afford those wages. So they're fortunate they've got they've, they've got um, Yannick out the door again for. Um, Obviously, he, had that, he infamously returned early from Villa last year and then went to Andlex. But Umar Nias almost seems destined to to see out his, his, his contract <laughs> ever. And maybe, maybe you know, maybe Umar... Might get another chance. He might do, you know. You know he, he's made the habit of um, writing people off. He's, he, he, you know, he's certainly not, not orthodox in anything that he does, Umar. And uh, 
Cuco Martina, I, I mean, I feared he's, he's way down the pecking order. Um, I think whenever he was called upon, he, 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 he's, he certainly wasn't as bad as he, as he was ma- made out to be. And he ended yeah. up doing, you know, a very um, honest, and uh, I'd say well, that's probably doing him down. When he used to switch over at left-back um, season four last, he ended up even providing a couple of assists. I yeah, remember that, that yeah. season. I mean, it's like the equivalent of Baines getting a couple of assists on his right foot, you think about it in that respect. But I don't see where he comes back in regards to the Everton first team. I mean, if he is called upon, I'm, I'm sure... You know he's not going to be awful. He would he would do a job, but I just think for again for Kuko's um, point of view, I'm I'm not too sure what sort of a season that is for him. Um, just hanging around at Everton, and it, it's a, it's a shame that you you do have um, players in these situations. But again, it's just a throwback to um, the the lack of strategy under the previous um, managerial um, regime of uh, Cumin and Walsh. Davy, are you on the same lines as as Beezer? A successful summer window, just missing out that centre back. Successful in terms of incomings, yeah, with that you know very notable caveat. Uh, but outgoings and Farhad Mashiri made it clear he wanted to try and recoup you know significant sums of money this summer, and it's only been a partial success in that respect. Yeah. Um, you know, Yannick Balassi, I don't know how much of our wages we're having to foot at Sporting Lisbon, but it will certainly be a chunk of them. Uh, losing Kevin Moranis was was decent. I mean, you know, yeah. that's been a long time coming, but, you know, so he's now off the payroll permanently. Uh, but the fact that the two guys you mentioned there who aren't going to play any part whatsoever Still on. Uh, in the senior setup, you know, they'll be turning up on, you know, Monday night, presumably playing in the under 23s. Do you know what I mean? Even that then prevents, you know, sort of good promising young footballers from getting a, a run out. So that's disappointing. Uh, because, you know, clearly they don't have a part in Marco Silva's planning and yet they're still there on the payroll. It's frustrating, but you can't do anything about it. It is something to do with, you know, the huge sums of money that were lavished on them when they were brought in, you know, for strange reasons that were beyond all of us in this room uh, at that time. So, uh, no, it's it's frustrating, but it's something Everton have got to live with, unfortunately. You know, maybe in January we can start this rigmarole all over again (laughs) and try and and finally lose them because, you know, what do they do? They just turn up and train for you know four or five days a week, and they're not even going to be playing football at the weekend, are they? It must be as frustrating for them. Yeah, uh, I, I was just about for... to say. I, yeah. I feel ultimately sorry for the pair of them because yeah. at the end of the day, they're they're two footballers who will not be playing football re- in a, on a regular basis. Honest, lads, it's, it's, the good lads. Yeah, yeah. certainly I'll at the top up level. Yeah. For fifty grand a week, though. I know. <laughs> but, people will always push look at me, money. Push me to do it. I know. I know. I'll, I'll go. But you know, it's a. a Problem not of their making, you know. So they yeah, were bought yeah. by Everton Football Club yeah. and uh, aren't being used. So you know, if if at the start of the window, Adam, no, I think if if people would have said to Everton fans, we'd we'd get rid of Morales, Balassi, Vlasic, and Onyekuru, three of them on a on a payment deal, would you have probably taken that? Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree with a lot of what Preno said. I think you know, getting getting these players off the wage bill by any means necessary was probably right. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it's a shame that some of them are still loans. I think, you know, like Sandro and Balassi, you know, they're on big money. So uh, Everton will still be paying a chunk of those sort of wages while they're away for a year. So that is, that is a shame. But I think all in all, you've got to look at this transfer window as a success. I think we've reduced the size of the squad, which is what Silver and Brands have always wanted to do. And we've increased the quality in the first team which I think was absolutely necessary. The one caveat, as B said, is not bringing on that centre-back. And I'm sure that will be something that will be addressed, if not in January, then in the summer. I think Brands would have to go 
against what he usually does if he was going to do it in January. So maybe might be more likely to see it in the summer, but we don't know what situations might arise from then until, well, from now until then. But yeah, I think I think it's been an absolutely great transfer window for Everton. I, absolutely I'd, great transfer I'd, window. I'd, I'd go that far, yeah. Dave, in, in terms of, of Morales, who, who kind of left this week, probably one of the most bizarre oh. modern Everton careers. I mean, even until I'd say the season we finished fifth under Roberto Martinez mm. was still a quite celebrated figure amongst the fans yeah, yeah. And, and a popular figure, but to, to crash and burn would probably be an, an understatement in well, terms it's funny, of... We, we talked where I was on Saturday afternoon when the news broke that he'd gone. So I was, I was with a few blues and we started talking about, you know, Morales. And someone goes, remember that goal at Tottenham? Oh, wow, yeah. Goal. Remember that goal at home Stoke. to Stoke? Oh, wow, yeah. Remember that performance in the Goodison Derby? Oh. Yeah, where he actually, Andre Wisdom was being tormented. <laughs> yeah. And someone said, yeah, the turning point then was when Luis Suarez rigged his studs down as Achilles and he went off at half-time injured and, you know, didn't quite, you know, carry that momentum on when he came back again. And I'm not so sure it's as simplistic as that, but he did have, you know, that incredibly bright start where he looked an absolute talent. Yeah. I mean, he was a, a huge goal scorer in the Greek league. I mean, Olympiakos was at 40-odd goals in a season. Yeah. We're thinking, wow, what, what kind of player have we got here? And he couldn't quite transform, you know, that... Um, prolific, you know, sort of goal-scoring spell into the Premier League. But he did score good quality goals and he scored reasonably frequently. But no, consistency was always the issue and he could never seem to, you know, sort of keep that consistency going. And fans just got more and more frustrated in the end because yeah. those bright spots and those wonder goals became less and less frequent. And certainly for the last two or three seasons, we've just seen a player going through the motions, to be honest, who, you know, didn't really... Looked like he had the enthusiasm for it anymore. Obviously, that incident on the training pitch with Morgan Schneiderlin didn't do him any favours either. Uh, so it all turned a little bit sour. But we shouldn't forget that, you know, for a spell, he was a very, very bright footballer. He did score some, you know, so really big goals. And he was a talent. It just didn't last long enough, unfortunately. Didn't help himself with the links away yeah. as well, when he was actually playing well. Yeah. You know, flirt, flirtations with Tottenham, especially. Belgian over, players flirting with over, moves over away. The, over the course of a couple of transfer windows, I think that, you know, Everton fans don't forget stuff like that, do yeah. they? Especially then when you when you come back and you, you've stayed at Everton and your consistency levels drop. Like, Everton fans are never going to forget that. And, and Balassi Bees, do you, do you think that maybe if he, if he wouldn't have suffered that quite devastating injury, could we have seen an, a, another side of him? Or do you think... It was it was always bound to be a bit of a mistake from yeah. from the outlay. Um, I wasn't a particularly big fan of him, but I'm sure it played a massive part. It was a horrible injury, yeah. and it was only just as he was getting going at Everton. I mean, I, I looked at his pedigree track record before he went to Everton, and obviously a lot of Everton and even Liverpool fans remember he's put on quite a few decent performances in Merseyside, and that sort of seemed to catch the eye. But if you looked at his overall career, been something of a, a journeyman, played for a few sort of bizarre small teams before them, sort of making it at Palace. And um, it did seem quite a lot for a player of that particular pedigree. So, you know, I'm not trying to be all clever in retrospect, but no, I, I, I wasn't um, an amazing um, Balassi fan when he when he did come in there. But it, it undoubtedly played a, a massive... Um, Massive impact on his, his Everton career. I mean, it was it was a horrible injury, and uh, to be fair, he, he got back and he played quite a bit of football when he did come back. I mean, under Sam Allardyce, there he he got quite a few um, minutes under his, his belt. But um, now it's it, it's a strange one. In fact, he's still got another two years to run on his contract. So, like we said, you I mean he could do this year, which is probably going to be still heavily supplemented by by Everton, and he's still got another year to run on the contract. 
Just to finish then, Dave, we'll, I'll ask you this to, to finish on a bit of a positive Richarlison's header up there with some of the, oh. the great Goodison headers, surely. It, it was a great goal, yeah, it was. It was because uh, as I've never made any secret to the fact that Bob Latchford is my lifelong sporting idol, absolutely adore the man. And it was his ability to get across and in front of defenders, which marked him out from so many of his uh, peers and his contemporaries at the time. And Richarlison did that so well. Was it Bolly? He, he outjumped. Yeah. Yeah. And um, people are saying, oh, Bolly's a bit flat-footed there. No, give the centre-forward some credit there. Um, you got to give Lucas Dean absolute credit as well because he just delayed the cross just sufficiently and then it was absolute quality, quality ball in that just demanded to be attacked. And he did. He, he was on the run. He got in front of the defender really well. Uh, he was still a long way out. He was about 12 yards out. So he had to get decent power behind it. He had to get good accuracy to it. And don't forget, Rui Patricio had, had a great game up until that point and had made two really good saves already. And he just wasn't getting near it. It was a great goal, a really great header. And, um, you know, it's just, it just underlines, you know, sort of how much the guy has to his game. You know, he can dribble, he can run, he can shoot and he can head the ball as well. You know, so he's got pretty much everything. Uh, but no, great centre forwards goal. Uh, you know, so all it was missing was a number nine on his back. <laughs> <laughs> and Adam, the, the new the new, the new banner in the Gladys seat, what did you think of that? The little Everton Beatles. It's good, wasn't it? Was. it I like that. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to like these new banners for every game. Yeah. Uh, next home game is going to be the Chef United one, isn't it? So we're going to see that Moyes Keane. Banner, so I'm looking. For, I'm looking oh, forward. Nice, okay. yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. But uh, yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm loving the, the amount of work that's going on in the Gladys Street. You know, I loved. You know what happened in the first game of the season with flags all over the ground. So I'm hoping that maybe that'll spread around to other areas of the stadium at some point. Well, thank you very much for joining us, everyone. It's the international weekend coming up but we will be back later in the week for a, another discussion Chris, Dave, Adam thank you so much for joining me hope we hope you enjoyed it you can rate, review and subscribe over on Acast and on the Facebook page the Royal Blue Podcast thank you very much for listening You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo